on Facebook right now. So, amen. Okay, Psalms 37. Hallelujah. And, um, man, I tell you what, I got a super specific word dropped into my heart for you guys today. Is it snowing? Praise God. I, I love the snow, man. I didn't always love the snow, but I do love the snow. I appreciate it now. We get it so, <laughs> we don't get it as much as we used to, so now I like, I'm thankful for it when we get it. All right, so Psalm 37, and like I said, I got a real specific word. Um, you know, I talked about earlier, and just in general, we're in a time of transition, and we're stepping into a new season, and um, yeah, it's a good thing, man. It's always a good thing. You know, God's heart um, is fruitfulness. God's heart is increase. God's heart um, is always uh, moving forward. Your best days are ahead of you. Your best days are not behind you. Your best days are ahead of you. And so, um, and the track that we are on is different than the track that the world is on. Um, you know, the, we, we don't have to experience um, life the way the world experiences life. God has something better for us. Um, now, the, the key point is, is uh, that place of relationship, that place of really trusting God. When you're trusting God, you're not scared. Amen. When you're trusting God, you don't feel the pressure. Um, you're not in a position of striving. The Bible says that when we trust the Lord, we're like a tree that's planted by the rivers of living water. We're going to bring forth our fruit in our season, and uh, we're not going to be scared when heat comes, and we're going to have unceasing fruitfulness. And so um, now I understand, you know, different times in your life, you may have moments where you're trusting in yourself. You may have moments where you're trusting in God, and that's normal, and that's okay. Um, but God always wants to bring you to a place of rest. How many, how many here has someone you can trust in your life? How many of you know that person brings rest to your soul? Uh, when you have somebody that you can trust, they always bring a place of rest. And so, uh, and the person that we have relationship, he's the most powerful person in the universe, and we can trust him. He's been faithful to us. He will continue to be faithful to us. Doesn't mean we're not going to have challenges. Doesn't mean we're not going to have things that we go through, but he's going to see us to the other side. And this year, um, I, uh, I know without a shadow of a doubt, God wants a good, good uh, year for you, for the church, for your family. And um, it's important to uh, develop and maintain that expectation of good things. That's what hope is. Hope has an expectation of good for your future. And you don't want to set your hope on the things of this world. You also don't even want to set your hope on things that have happened in the past. You know, uh, because, you know, last year may have been a tough year for you. I guarantee everybody in here went through stuff last year. How do you know? Because you're on earth, right? And uh, it's a challenge. And, and I'm not saying there won't be challenges this year, too, but I am saying that we have a God who's all-powerful, and he's going to walk us through it, and he's going get to get us to the other side. And, um, and so your life is a series of seasons. Um, and, but, but how many know that your walk with God in your life, how many know it's not a sprint, it's a marathon? Amen. You have to know that because, you know, sometimes, you know, you can get so caught up in one season that it can seem like this season is going to last forever. It can seem like this chapter of your life is going to last forever. But you have to know that the pages turn, the seasons change, breakthrough happens, and you come to the other side. I mean, everybody in here, just the fact that you're here is, is miraculous. Many of us, we shouldn't even be here in terms of even being alive. And so, um, but there are fresh seasons and God has a, a, a whole path for your life, right? And, but one of the things that you're going to have to learn how to handle, and this is what we're going to talk about today, and this is a little bit different, but in order to 
continue to walk forward with God and to continue to move forward, we're going to have to learn how to overcome failures and setbacks. Because you're going to have moments where you make mistakes. You're going to have moments where other people make mistakes <laughs> and their mistakes impact you. And you're going to have moments of failure and setback. And it's very important to know how to navigate that. Because um, if you don't know how to handle a failure and you don't know how to handle a setback, then how many know, see, God doesn't want any failure in your life to become a lasting failure. I mean, oh, God's always, every time you make a mistake, every time you fall, every time you mess up, I mean, oh, God's always going to pull you out of the pit. He never leaves you there. And, but you have to learn how to handle a failure because, I mean, oh, failing is a part of the process. It is, man. And, 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 and one of the things about it is, is your, your strength, my strength, is going to fail regularly. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're not in our own strength, but we're in the Lord's strength. But when you have a failure or you have a setback, it's honestly, it's an opportunity to fall in love with Jesus and His faithfulness towards you. Because how many know God will be faithful to you even when you fail? How many know God will be faithful to you especially when you fail? And, and when you failed or you've fallen short, it doesn't turn God's heart away from you. you. You don't have a relationship with a God that's looking for a perfect performance. How I many you know Jesus' name is Savior? Me and Ethan were talking about this on the way here. Jesus' name is Yeshua. His name is Savior. How I many you know if someone's name is Savior, that means that they are going, they identify with being a rescuer. And so God is very comfortable rescuing you regularly. Now, there's one, you, know, you get born again one time, and you get saved one time. I'm not talking about over and over and over again saved. But how many know you need some rescuing? And, and one, of the, one of the major things you need rescuing from is yourself. <laughs> Have y'all noticed? <laughs> Perhaps your greatest enemy, right? And, and it's not really who you are in Christ, but your flesh. You know, you're the carnal mind, you know, all those types of things. There's a part of you that, that is joined purely and harmoniously with the Lord and is in Lincoln and union with the Lord, and there's a part of you that's still an idiot. You follow me? I mean, there's a, you're talking about your flesh, talking about your carnal mind. And so, um, and so in navigating this life is really just trying to stay in being the person that God has created you to be and not the person that you used to be and not the failings and the shortcomings. But in order to walk with God, in order to continue to move forward, you're going to have to learn how to handle failure. You know, and uh, I, there's all kinds of quotes about failure, you know, and, and I thought about pulling some of those out, but I just chose not to. But, you know, a champion is not somebody who never gets knocked down. A champion is somebody who learns how to get back up after they've been knocked down. And, and so I, that's what we're going to take a look at today, because don't allow your failure to define you, and don't allow your failure to define your future. Because what you have to understand is no matter how many times you fail, your destiny stays the same. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God does not change His mind about your destiny. 
That's one of the most beautiful and powerful things in the faithfulness of God. God's, God never changes his mind about you. Once, once, once he knew you before you were born, once he you know, knitted you in your mother's womb, he had a set purpose for you. He gave you gifts and callings that he's never going to take away from you. And your destiny never changes. Now, you, the, the path is always changing, right? Because, but what you have to understand is God has factored into your destiny even your failures. Because He knew all the mistakes you were going to make. I mean, oh, God knew that David was going to commit adultery and kill somebody before He chose him. Before He chose him, He knew He was going to fail. But God still chose him. And how many know that his failure, he still went to the throne. He still put on the crown. And what you have to understand, and I'm not encouraging failure, because failure is not good. It hurts you. It hurts the people around you. I'm not encouraging mistakes. They're, we don't want to give place to the enemy. We want to shut the door on the enemy. We definitely want to do that. So please don't think I'm encouraging stupidity, because I'm not. But the beauty of it is, is if you will... Embrace the faithfulness of the Lord, even in the midst of your mistakes, and understand that He still loves you, and you're still who He has created you to be, then even your failures will serve to cause you to love Him more. The Bible says, He that is forgiven of much, the same loves much. And when you can understand how, some of what Connie was talking about, when you can understand how successful the cross was, and how the fact that you've been totally forgiven, you know, as you're sitting here today, you're a forgiven person. God's not holding anything against you. Because the, the cross is a success. And when you understand that and you let that wash through your soul, it, it, what it does is it creates a place of gratitude in your heart. How I many know David was thankful? Because David recognized, and there's one passage in David's life that I love this passage. I need to breathe, actually wrote a song about it. And I, think they, I can't tell you how many times I've cleaned my kitchen and cried to that song. Uh, but it's, the song's called, Who Am I? You know? I'm trying not to cry. Who am I and what is my house that you've chosen me? You know, because, you know, David was like, he got to a point in his life where he was so overwhelmed by the goodness of God. He was like, why me? Of all the people you could have picked, why, who am I? And, and, and yet it was God's pleasure to, to save you, to rescue you over and over and over again. Because you have to understand, God's wooing you. He plans on marrying you. How many of you there's the marriage supper of the Lamb? Amen? How many of you we are the bride of Christ? He's wooing you. By the time you finally see Him, you're going to be so in love with Him and so grateful for Him, it's going to overwhelm you. And your worship as a redeemed person is going to be sweeter than the worship of the angels. Because we, know, we might not be able to sing like they sing, we might not be as powerful as they are, but folks... We know what darkness tastes like, and we know what light tastes like. And when we worship the Lord, we're worshiping the Lord as a people that have been rescued. And I'm telling you what, our tears and our adoration towards Him, it means something to God. That's why He did all of these things, right? But in order to, to finish your race, you're going to have to learn how to come back from a failure and how to come back from a setback. Psalm uh, 37 in verse 23, it says, The steps of a good man 
are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Now, I just want to point something out here. It says the steps of a good man. How many know you are a good person? Because God has made you good. Can you get an amen? So important for you to acknowledge every good thing that Christ has done in you. That will make your faith effective. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Now, here's the cool thing about it. How many know that, that he's a good man that fell? And God still delights in his way. Or she's a good woman that fell, and God still delights in her way. Because you may have minor setbacks, major setbacks, but how many know pretty much every day you probably fail at something? If we're honest. You know, the way you treat somebody, the tone that you speak in, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. How many know the standard's pretty high? We're called to live like Jesus, right? But the beauty of it is, it says, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. In other words, the mistake or the fall, you're not going to stay there, for the Lord upholds you with his hand. You know, one of the things I love doing with my kids, you know, Lily's two, or yeah, two, and Eli's six, and not so much with Eli now, but with Lily, like, you know, when we're going someplace or we're going into a store or whatever, I just hold her hand. And as long as I've got her hand, it don't, and it don't matter if she slips, it don't matter if she falls, it don't matter if she trips, I'm just going to pick her back up. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've been walking across the street or walking through somewhere and she just like wipe out, but I've got her and she can just hang there and I still got her, right? Amen. And but, but how many know that, that, that your God is holding on to your hand and your God is bigger and stronger than any time you fail? And he will always pick you back up. He will always pick you back up. And a fail does not define you, and it also doesn't define or change your future. Amen. How many you know failure can't get into you anymore now that you're born again? Amen. You, you, are, you, are, you have a new identity. Amen. And then Proverbs 24, um, in verse 16, it says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. The key is rise again. And also, righteous. Amen. How many know that you are, you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? And though you fall, you will rise again. God's all about the rise again. God's all about redemption. And it's very important uh, to know how to be able to do that. And how many know sometimes, how many know legalism can be crushing? Because under legalism, when you fall, you think you are now marked. You know, God's not handing out marks of Cain anymore. I mean, old Jesus was marked in his back so that you wouldn't have any marks anymore. Your Savior was marked so you don't have to be marked, right? And, and, and God, what he's done in Jesus is greater than any failure. And because the cross is a success and your nature is not changed. I just want to read a couple more scriptures here. Micah chapter 7 and verse 8. It says, our enemies have no reason to gloat over us, for we have fallen, but we will rise again. We are in darkness now, but the Lord will give us light. Amen. The Lord's all about redemption. Psalms uh, 145 and verse 14, it says, The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. 
And so you have to understand that, that God has partnered with you and God wants to walk with you. Now, going back to legalism, because I'm, I, I, what legalism does is it will stamp you as bad. It will stamp you as evil. It will stamp you as wrong because legalism does not present you righteousness as a gift. It presents a bunch of hoops that you have to go through in order to be made worthy. And how many know there's nobody in this room that was made worthy by their own ability? We all simply received a gift. And that gift of Jesus has made us right with God. And so when you fall, it doesn't, it doesn't change your identity. You're still a child of God. You're still the righteousness of God. And if you'll embrace that and understand that, it will actually help you to rise up. The reason that people fall and stay there is they don't think they're right with God anymore. I meet people, like when I do street ministry and stuff like that, I meet people all the time who think God's mad at them, who think God's against them, who, who, who are convinced that they've somehow you know, done something that's messed them up and now God is against them and not for them. Listen, just because the church is against you and not for you doesn't mean God is. And, and sadly, uh, there have been churches that were better at condemning than they were at reconciling. And God's heart is always reconciliation. But there are, there are people who, who feel like that. But I'm telling you what, if they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, I mean, you know, they're still the righteousness of God in Christ. And if they can just realize that and embrace that, they'll actually come out of that old behavior. That old behavior, see, the, when people get caught up in cycles of bad behavior, it's because they've forgotten who they are. Every single time. Talks about it over there in the book of James. It's the law of liberty. If you're, if you're doing is not lining up with the word of God, then in whatever area that you're doing is not lining up, you've forgotten who you are. The enemy's always trying to bring in spiritual amnesia. He's always trying to get you to identify with your failure. Right? And we'll take a look at a couple people here um, that, that had an opportunity to do this. Now, how many know that, that Peter, God chose Peter to be the leader? And God chose him to be the leader of the early church. And, um, you know, I, and... You know, Peter was a hothead, man. I mean, he was. Peter was a hothead. He got mad. He ran his mouth um, on the regular. And, uh, you know, I mean, he did, man. I mean, praise God, we're in good company. I mean, Peter was running his mouth so much on the Mount of Transfiguration that God the Father shut Peter up. He's like, this is my son. Hear him. <laughs> you know, but, you know, but how I many you know God still chose him? And God, still, God knew he was a hothead when he chose him and knew that he was, um, you know, had all of the qualities that he had. But, you know, God doesn't choose perfect vessels. God chooses broken vessels. And he fills those vessels full of himself. And, and so he ultimately, God is glorified even in our places of weakness because he, he has the ability to rescue us and bring us into the fullness of what he's called us to do. But we see Peter commit probably one of the ugliest sins you can commit. I mean, you spend three and a half years with Jesus, walking with him, seeing the miracle. I mean, how many miracles do you think Peter saw? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, we, we, we just have the ones that are recorded. In the book of John, it said, if we recorded everything Jesus did, the whole world couldn't contain the books. God chose specific miracles that he was going to write down and keep in Scripture for the purpose of teaching. 
But there are truckloads of miracles that we don't know anything about, right? Peter's seen all kinds of miracles. He's watched Jesus walk, and Peter, after having known Jesus that way, denies him publicly with swearing on multiple occasions in Jesus' time of greatest need. Jesus needed somebody to be there for him, and nobody was there for him. And, his, and the guy that was his leader was not there for him. And so you've got to understand the depth. Basically, Judas may have betrayed Jesus with a kiss, but Peter betrayed Jesus with his mouth over and over and over again. That's a big deal. You know? I mean, this is someone who has walked with the Lord and seen what he did. And so, what you have to understand, I mean, you know, that Jesus told Peter before it happened, see, the enemy is always planning a failure for you. And if you'll listen to the Lord, you can walk around the failure and you don't have to fail. But he's always planning one for you. Because he... And, and, and Jesus told Peter, he said, Satan has come to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed that your faith would fail not. How many of you know that Satan did sift Peter like wheat? And what you have to understand, the biggest part of the sifting was not just the failure. The biggest part of the sifting, and sifting means to, to tear something apart and to break away from it. The biggest part... Can you imagine how Peter felt about Peter when he after he denied the Lord the third time and locked eyes with Jesus and we heard the cock crow? Can you imagine the level of condemnation on this man that he just denied his best friend, his Savior, the man that he claimed that he would die for? He spent all of his time trying to convince everybody how much he loved Jesus. And when Jesus needed to be loved, Peter made, made himself the enemy of Jesus and sided with his enemies and refused to know him. So him and Jesus lock eyes. And the Bible says that he wept bitterly. So what you have to understand is your failure, the purpose of your failure is not just so you'll fail and mess things up, what the enemy's trying to do is he's trying to tattoo you with failure on your identity. Because, folks, if Peter hadn't received forgiveness and was restored, then he wouldn't have been able to walk his call out. See, the difference between Peter and Judas, one of the differences is, Peter allowed Jesus to pay for his sins. Judas tried to pay for his own sins which is a form of self-righteousness. Killed himself, you know? And <clears throat> But the enemy was trying to tattoo Peter with failure. And had Peter identify with his failure, then when Pentecost... I mean, you know, it's difficult to do what you're called to do when you're in condemnation. If Peter would have been under condemnation at Pentecost, do you really think he would have had the guts to get up and preach? And the funny thing about it is, he, he convicted people of doing the very thing that he did. 
He said, y'all denied the Lord. That's what he preached. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you don't know you're forgiven and you don't know who you are in Christ, there's no way on God's green earth you could utter those words from your heart. But if he'd have been under condemnation, then there's no way that he could have finished the course. But what I love about Jesus is Jesus came to him, fed him breakfast, and restored him out of identifying with his failure. Because, you know, when Peter said, I go fishing, he's probably thinking, God don't want nothing to do with me. Jesus don't want nothing. Nobody, I'm just going to go back to what I know, forget serving God. And he's out there trying to serve God, he's trying to serve himself in condemnation and can't catch nothing. How many know him not catching anything is the mercy and the love of God to bring him back home? How I many if he'd have went out and been a successful fisherman after this, um, it would have been more difficult for him to really fulfill the call of God on his life? And so there was an element of frustrating his plans for God's plan. Because how many know God had not given up on him? So Jesus came, restored him. He came out of that failure. He came out of that fall. And man was radically put in that position of leadership. He preached at Pentecost. 3,000 people are saved. Early church is born. Peter finally gets to the place where his shadow is healing people. I mean, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty staunch. Um, restoration and redemption. Amen? But so I, I say all that, an enemy's not just after making you fall. He wants you to embrace that fall, make it your identity, and then he, always, he also wants you to think that now your destiny's messed up. You know, we talked a little bit about David earlier, and um, you know, we, we, we know David's failures and David's falls. But, I mean, you know, David, you know, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. David chose to trusting God's goodness and not his own. And so when David, the thing that made David a man after God's own heart was not because he had a perfect life or he did everything right, because clearly he did not. But the cool thing about David is David actually believed that God was good. And so when David messed up, he ran towards God. And, and, and we know that God restored him, God brought back. And the beauty of God's redemption is not only did God restore everything to David, how many of y'all God used Bathsheba for Solomon to be born and for probably the greatest king outside of King David and obviously Jesus set on the throne coming out of David's greatest mistakes, right? And so um, restoration, right? And then, you know, we see, you know, of course, Saul of Tarsus. We know that, you know, he, he, he had, you know, Christians killed and led away to prison and, you know, did all, he had blood on his hands and, you know, he was the consenting not a Pharisee for the first martyr when the martyr Stephen was, was killed. The clothes were laid at uh, Saul's feet, Saul Paul's feet, and he's the one who gave them permission to kill Stephen. And uh, I mean, you know, it was important that Saul didn't identify with his failure so he could move forward and do what God had called him to do. And that's why, you know, in Philippians, you say, this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind. And so, folks, I'm saying all these things to say you're going to have things in your life that you're going to have to shake the dust off and you're going to have to rise up and you're going to have to recognize that your mistake did not change who you are and it also didn't change who God is. Because there's no way you're going to complete your course if you don't learn how to handle failure and setbacks. 
And not only your own failure and your own setback, how many of you got to be able to handle other people's as well? And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, and then, of course, we see Moses. Moses trying to step out, trying to fulfill the call of God in his life. So he kills an Egyptian and uh, commits murder. And so, you know, the guy that God is going to use to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, how many know that he could have been labeled a murderer? And see, he did not get scared until he found out somebody knew. And he said, he, and the, the, uh, one of the Egyptians, or no, it was one of the Hebrews, said, are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian the other day? What happened? Label, murderer, failure. And so he ran. He ran. And, um, and 40 years, man. But how many know the passage of time don't change the call of God on your life? It just don't, man. I mean, God chose the man to do this. And he's like, I'm not changing my mind. He's like, but I'm 80 and I stutter. And he's like, I'm God. You know, you, 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 can't, you can't put down a disqualification greater than me. So whatever card you want to play that you think is disqualified, you let me remind you of my greatness. And see, when we hear things like this, how many know it encourages us? How many know God is glorified in the weakness of man? Because we see man fail over and over again, but we see God just come through and do his thing, right? And, um, and so, of course, God brought Moses into the fullness of his calling. God did awesome things through Moses' life. It was amazing. It was wonderful. It was powerful. Uh, but Moses did not identify as a murderer. He identified as a deliverer. Amen? And then, you know, and then... Another example, we see John Mark in the Bible. This is New Testament stuff, which is cool. Um, and we see a contention between uh, Paul and Barnabas because John Mark didn't, John, they were on a missionary trip, and I guess John got homesick. We don't know, but he just left. He said, I can't do this no more. And then so, then there was an argument between Barnabas and Paul about bringing John Mark. Paul's like, I ain't bringing John Mark again. He ducked out on us last time. I ain't bringing it. And then we see Barnabas and Paul separate ways over John Mark. It's New Testament Christianity. I mean, no, they didn't have it all down perfect either. And, but what's cool is, later on in another one of uh, Paul's epistles, he says, hey, bring John Mark. I need John. I need John to come. Have him come. Have, how many know there's restoration? John made a mistake. There was repercussion for the mistake, but God still, but God still brought him back. He was still in the ministry. Can you get an amen? And so... I just, I, I say all of these things, let's turn to Genesis 17, is that we have to, once again, learn how to navigate failure and na navigate our own failures and also navigate the failures of people around us. Here's the thing. If you don't know how to navigate your own failure, then you're not going to know how to treat other people when they fail. If you condemn yourself when you fail, then you're going to condemn other people when they fail and the only person that's going to win in that is the accuser of the brethren, is the slander, is the enemy. So you need to know how to handle failure, not just for you, but for other people. Praise God. And so now, you know, I, I, I sometimes want to I talk about the king of failure. And I'm talking about Abraham. Because Abraham, you know, we talk about him being the father of our faith, and he definitely was, but he did everything wrong. Like he did. Abraham, like, 
God said, all right, leave the early Chaldees by yourself. And he said, okay, I got to bring Lot. I got to bring this person. I got to bring that person. God's like, okay, we'll work with that, you know. And then two times, you know, he lies about his wife and said, you know, tell him, tell him you're my brother. Oh, I'm sorry. My sister, yeah, tell him you're my sister, and, and, and you know, and lies about his wife, cowardly, and, and, and you know, and then, you know, God says, you're going to have a child from, my, from you know, from, Sarah, from Sarah's womb, and, and he's like, what about Ishmael, and so then we got Hagar rolling in. I mean, the dude's portfolio of mistakes are thick. He made a ton of mistakes, but once again, like David, he trusted that God was good, you know? A lot of times, you know, the, the, the Jewish community and stuff like that, they will elevate Abraham like he's some kind of God or something. And no, dude, Abraham basically messed everything up over and over again, but God was so good to him that he learned how to trust a good God. But the thing that, that really changed Abraham was his name was Abram, her name was Sarai, and then God marked him with a new identity. And you have to understand this, if, if you really want to take a look at a picture of what a, a life looks like lived completely under grace, it's Abraham. The Bible says the gospel was first preached unto Abraham. Righteousness was imputed to Abraham. God had a relationship with Abraham that, was, that really is very similar to the type of relationship he wants to have with us. You, you, you never see God punish Abraham for sin. Not once. Now you see God punish people that sin against Abraham. Even when it was Abraham's fault. It's astonishing. It's amazing. The king of Gerar or whatever. You know, when he took Sarah into his harem. And, 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 and then God, you know, God closes all the wombs up and all kinds of crazy stuff. And he has this crazy demon, the dream, the, this king Gerar. And he comes back to Abraham and says, dude, what are you doing? That's not, that's not your sister. That's your wife. The Almighty God came to me in a dream and threatened me. <laughs> and, 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 and then God had Abraham pray for King Agar so that everything could be restored. It's the first time you see healing in the Bible. And, and all of that was Abraham's fault. It's amazing. But what I want to show you is what it looks like to be right before God based upon faith and not action. I mean, it's powerful. Now, we come to find out that this type of righteousness is given as a gift. I mean, it doesn't lead Abraham into a lifestyle of sin. It doesn't lead him into a lifestyle of lasciviousness. Actually, it causes the man to have great faith. The man has tremendous faith. Why? Because God's been good to him his whole life, and he knows he didn't deserve it. And so now God's like, all right, I want you firstborn. He saddled up his donkey. He's ready to go. Why? Because he trusted the goodness of God. Because he had a relationship with God not based upon his performance, but a relationship with God based upon God's performance towards him. Y'all see that? And so in this, in he, they were friends. They had a, this wonderful relationship. So God gave Abraham a new identity. God gave Abraham a new name. And what you have to understand is the way that he named them is he gave them a letter of the Hebrew alphabet he added to their name. Abram, Sarai, Abraham, Sarah. And I want to read you this passage and then I'll 
give the explanation. Genesis 17 and verse 5, it says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Let me read this to you. The, sa- the sacred name of God is spelled from four Hebrew letters, yud heh vav When God changes Abra- Abram's name to Abraham, he inserts the Hebrew letter Hey from his divine name into Abraham's name. Hey is the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, alphabet in the biblical number, which represents grace. So what, what he did was God marked Abraham with grace. God marked Sarah with grace. And no matter what mistake he made, no matter what valley he fell into, no matter what failure he had, the man's identity was marked with grace. See, and here's important, God will never speak evil about you. Never. God may correct you. God will correct you. Because He loves you. But He's never going to speak evil about you. Why? Because He's made you a part of Himself. And God's not going to speak evil about Himself. Everybody tracking me here. I mean, you now have a new identity in Christ Jesus. And so, no matter what mistake Abraham made, God still saw Abraham as righteous. God's, his life was marked by grace. And so, no matter what up and down he went through, his identity stayed the same. And how many you know it was important for Sarah and Abraham to continue to call each other? by those new names. And I'm talking about developing a culture, not of accusation and slander, but a culture of honor. God doesn't operate in dishonor. God wants to teach you how to honor yourself. And then out of Him teaching you how to honor and respect yourself, He wants to teach you how to honor and respect those around you. Because as Abraham and Sarah called each other what God said about them, how many of y'all, they were speaking grace over each other every time they said names. And God doesn't want that just to happen in a, He wants that to happen in marriage for sure. He doesn't want us tearing each other down. He doesn't want us disrespecting each other. He wants us honoring each other. How many of you honor each other? You're building a shield around your family, not just protecting your marriage, but protecting your children as well. Because you're not in an atmosphere of slander. You're in an atmosphere of honor. And I know there will you know, be water under the bridge and past hurts and things, of the, all those types of things. But the more you can know your spouse, not after the flesh, but according to Christ, the more you're going to fortify and strengthen your marriage, your children, and your own life. Never speak, don't speak bad about your spouse. Take it a step further. Don't speak bad about your kids. You will never find me, ever, telling my kids they're bad or speaking something evil towards my kids because I, I do not want them to identify with that because it's not true. Now I'll correct their behavior. I'll say, hey, look, you're better than this. Come on. We got this. We can do this. But I'm always, and God's the same way. When He corrects you, He doesn't condemn you. When, God's correction is a correction unto exhortation. Know ye not you're the temple of the living God? How many of God, how many of they spoke that to the Corinthian church? They were in gross immorality. He opened the letter. He called them saints. He started it. Saints. 
He wasn't taking anything away from them. He said, you're still saints. You're still the temple of the living God. And if you knew your worth, you wouldn't be involved in that. Still corrected the behavior, but corrected the behavior unto value and worth. And so God is never going to belittle or devalue you. So you don't belittle or devalue you. Can you get an amen? The way you speak about yourself is important. This is something I've received tremendous correction from the Lord on. Because I, 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 had, I had a tendency to just tear myself down, man. And, uh, uh, you know, people like you more when you tear yourself down. They do. They, 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 like, they feel more comfortable around you if you will tear yourself down and demean yourself. And, and, and there's a place for humor. There's a place to be funny. And, you know, I think it's good to be able to laugh at yourself. I think that's healthy. But at the same time, you want to be careful not to speak disparagingly about yourself because you're speaking disparagingly about Christ because you're now joined to Christ. And you want to make sure that you have a positive, accurate way of speaking about yourself, not just externally. See, I got free from it externally before I got free from it internally. I still have a challenge with it internally. Because internally I'll say things to myself about myself that really aren't nice. And I had to catch myself. You know what I'm saying? I'll be like, man, you idiot. You know? I do that, and that's not good. I need, to, I, I, need to get, I need to get that out of my vocabulary because you don't want to carry an identity that's contrary to what God has says about you. Because, man, if, if, you, if you post up underneath a false identity, don't be surprised when you walk that thing out. Everybody tracking me here. And so we want to not give voice to the accuser inwardly, outwardly, towards our spouse, our children, and I'm not talking about an absence of correction. Everybody understand here. I'm not saying everything goes, but I'm saying the way that you relate correction is very important. And then we'll take it one step further. I'm talking about the whole body of Christ. I'm talking about when we, we, speak, we see the best in each other. We speak the best about each other. Can I get an amen? We believe the best about each other. We speak the best about each other. We don't use our tongue uh, to tear each other down, man. We need that. We need that. We need safety and protection. I mean, oh, this is a place of honor. And in, in, in a lot of the paradigms of the, of the current modern Christian culture, people will honor the pastor but not honor each other. And it's wrong. Yes, you should honor the pastor. You can't receive for somebody if you don't honor them. But how many know it's just as important to honor all everybody? Because nobody in the room is any better than anybody else. And when you, if you get good at being critical, cynical, and hurling accusation, and you're, you get good at picking that up and throwing it, it's going to get on your own hands. The judgment that you pour out will be poured back to you. Not from God, but from just it's a seed time and harvest thing. So you want to speak life. Amen? And so God marked them with grace. I mean, you know, you've been marked even more with grace than Abraham has. Abraham was not born again. You are. Abraham had an imputed righteousness. You are literally one with Christ. What you have is better than what he had. What you have is better than what Adam had. Amen. We're all just coming to realize what, we, what, we, what we've been given in Christ. Amen. Now, a couple more places here and we close. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
God's going to, he's going to hold you. He's going to help you. He's going to help you. You know, even with, with our kids. I mean, you know, one of the things you got to teach your kids and one of the things kids have to learn, especially when they're young, I mean, you know, kids want to pick something up and do it perfect the first time they pick it up. And if they don't do it perfect, how I many they get frustrated? And, you know, Ethan over here, 18 years old, he knows if he does it and it don't work, you just keep doing it and eventually it's going to work. But like Eli, he's six. And, you know, one of the things we got him for Christmas, we got him like a bow and arrow. And, man, he's trying to hit that, you know, and he's, he's not a real bow and arrow, just like a one, little suction cups. I'm sorry. <laughs> Praise God. I ain't giving him weapons yet. <laughs> Amen. Although they would probably be very safe in his hands. We don't want to give Lily weapons yet. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. You just keep track of how many times a week Lily bites or kicks Eli. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. She's peaceful. She's sugar and spice and everything nice. Amen. Praise God. She, she's a powerful human being. Hallelujah. She is, man. Amen. She's a fighter. I mean, we need fighters. Can't get an amen. Nothing wrong with being a fighter. It's good to be a fighter. You've got to direct it in the right direction amen um but you know when he's remember he first did it he couldn't do it and he was just crushed and there we are trying to enjoy christmas and he's crying and he's upset and all these things you know and and uh, but how many know he's learning how to handle failure and as he stuck with it he started doing it and then the activity that brought him pain brought him joy and then when everybody came over he wanted to show him how he could shoot his bow now, how many of y'all, that's a small thing. Take that over into your life. The big decisions, the small decisions, all of us have to learn how to handle failure. Amen? And so we have to learn how to handle failure, and then we, we also have to learn how to ha handle the failures of other people as well. And that'll be the final thing that we talk about. But I want to talk about one other thing quickly, because this was laid in my, in my heart as soon as I got up in the morning. And I don't, but, and I just mention it quickly because I can just feel like I'm not supposed to spend a lot of time on this. But um, David, in, actually I'm not, I'm not even supposed to talk about it. Let's go to the last one. Amen. Galatians 6. We close right here. Amen. God be spirit led. Praise God. Just because it's a good idea don't mean it's a God idea. God's like, I need 15 minutes on this last point. Just shut up. <laughs> Let me just... So, all right, now once again, and this is something the body of Christ needs to grow in, because one of the things the body of Christ has not been good at is the failure of other fellow soldiers, and what's happened is it, it, the body of Christ as a whole has, has be, we have, when somebody gets wounded in battle, we just kill them, and we don't bring restoration into their lives. Now listen, now please understand me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have accountability, okay? We're living in a time when there are tons of ministries being exposed for corruption. And I am all for that. Because God has dealt with those people for years and they've chosen not to repent. And so now God is exposing... What they're doing for the purpose of healing the people that they're hurting and to heal them too. Because God's always on the side of redemption. Always. Always. Now, before the cross, it was different. 
you know, because we didn't have the ability to bring redemption like the blood of Jesus does. But in the new covenant, God's always for redemption. And, and so, but we're in a time when there's accountability, you know, if there's, you know, sexual immorality or there is mismanagement of finances or there's abuse and all that, um, I, that stuff needs to be exposed so people can change. I'm not drawing anything back on any of that stuff, right? We need that stuff fixed. The Bible says the judgment begins in the house of God. I've got to clean the house of God up, man. So I'm not against, I'm totally 100% for that. However, once a fall has happened, God wants to restore. Now, here's the thing. You can't restore somebody who don't admit that what they've done is wrong. Or they're trying to hide it. There is no restoration in deceit. And that goes publicly, that goes personally. If you don't admit that what you're doing is wrong, there's no change in your life. That's, that's huge right there. Because we live in a time when people are really trying to blur the lines of what right and wrong is. Now, Scripture lays it out, man. It's real clear. God's real clear on right and wrong, right? Um, and, and so it, it's one thing to struggle with something and want to get free. It's another thing to struggle with something and declare that it's right. Everybody understand what I'm saying there? I just want to say that real quickly. But once someone has recognized that what they've done is wrong, and however it came about, God's heart is restoration. And here, the ability to restore someone that has fallen is a mark of spiritual maturity. This is one of the times where it says, you that are spiritual, you that are mature, restore somebody that's fallen. And because we've had an absence of spiritual maturity in the body of Christ, the body of Christ, when somebody has fallen or someone's made a mistake, they just killed them off. And, and without, there is no maturity without an understanding of faith righteousness. How I many you know that person that's fallen or made a mistake, how I many you know they're still right with God? If they're born again, they're the righteousness of God. Now, they might not necessarily be right in their approach to God or where their heart's at, but God is not taking away their sonship. How I many know when Peter denied the Lord three times, he was still a child of God? So God doesn't remove your nature because you fail. Just like a butterfly don't turn into trash when it lands on trash. Right? I think that's one of the greatest analogies you can have. So anyway, let's look at it. Galatians chapter, and we're closing in 10 minutes. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And so, if you want to get good at help at restoring other people out of failure, I mean, you also have to know how to handle your own. And so when you're learning how to come back from a failure, what it should do is bring kindness and graciousness and mercy out of your heart so that when you see somebody else fail, it gives you the ability to bring that, that warm blanket of your own experience and where God comforted you Drape it over that individual's shoulders and help them to move on. Because it's never a joyous thing for one of his children to fall 
and stay there. And the reason people stay there is they don't believe that they're forgiven and they think that their identity has been marred or messed up as a result of their fall. But if we'll preach the gospel, the good news to the fallen, they'll come out of the fall. And it says, so brethren, if a man is overtaken in trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now, we see a, really a, one of the greatest ways um, biblically to restore somebody in the Corinthian church. Because Paul writes his first letter, and there's a guy in the church, you know, he's, he's committing gross immorality, he's doing some dumb stuff. Paul's first approach is, this is wrong. <laughs> the first approach is calling out the behavior. Like, we don't roll like that as Christians. Like, we don't do that. That's wrong. We can't live like that. And so his first approach was, the, and so then... 1 Corinthians was a success. They took the guy. They corrected his behavior. He received the correction. They actually removed him from fellowship. But then in 2 Corinthians, Paul's like, okay. He received the correction. He recognized what he did wrong. Bring him back. Restore him. Love on him. And bring him back to because the person that God created him to be. Amen? And so, I say all these things to say this. You're going to experience failure in your own life. You're going to experience failure in other people's lives. And how you handle those failures are extremely important. Another example of, of failure. How many know that the woman caught in the act of adultery experienced extreme failure publicly? And we see how Jesus handles it. What does he do? The first thing is he, do, he does is he establishes God's sense of righteousness through the law. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Well, he, what he did was he leveled the playing field. How many the Bible says that he sat down, he started writing in the dust, and then the Bible says that from the oldest to the youngest, they were all convicted in their conscience. Jesus said, you that are without sin cast the first stone. So anytime someone's in a failure... Every person accusing them has also failed. Maybe not failed the way they failed, but has failed. Because everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has failed. And so, Jesus comes in, levels the playing field, removes the accusers. Because Jesus is like, okay, y'all want to keep the law? Let's keep the law. Everybody's dying today. <laughs> Just pick up stones, hit each other, hit yourself, because everybody's dying but me. Because <laughs> I'm the only one that hasn't sinned. And, and it's just the truth. See, the law was never given so, for a ladder for people to climb and act like they were better than other people. That's one of the saddest things we see in Christianity. We see Christians running around acting like they're better than other people because they struggle differently than somebody else struggles. And, and it's one of the things that turns people off to God, turns people off to the church, holier than thou, self-righteous people running around acting like they're better than everybody else, man. Ain't no one on earth any better than anybody else. We all need Jesus. There's only two types of people, the people that are alive and the people that are dead, spiritually speaking. Like, you know, like there's not really good and bad. There's just people that are alive and people that are not alive. And so Jesus came, he leveled the playing field, and then... The woman clearly embraced her mistake, but then Jesus gave her dignity 
value and forgiveness in the midst of her failures. And then he said, go your way and sin no more. Don't put yourself in this situation again. Because I might, you might die the next time. I mean, sin will kill you. It'll flat out, it'll just kill you. Sin's dangerous, man. Like it's, and, and, and the punishment doesn't come from God. The punishment, sin will punish you for sin. And so we don't want to open the door for the enemy in any single area of our life. Because whatever area he's trying to get in, I mean, he's trying to still kill and destroy. Try to still kill and destroy marriage. Try to still kill and destroy finances. Try to still kill and destroy uh, children, health of your of bodies, everything. So we want to keep the door shut as much as we can. But when there is a failure, we have to we have to learn how to rise up out of it. And then we also have to learn how to help each other rise up out of it. And you know, years ago, um, and I'll close on this. There was a there was a, a gentleman who was in ministry, and um, he got caught up in adultery and made some huge mistakes, and I can, and, and God laid it on my heart to, um, to, to come and to minister to him, and I can remember the Lord speaking to me, speaking to my heart, clear as day, he said, treat him exactly the way you would want to be treated, I mean, just as clear as day, and so, when you find, and, and we did, and he's restored, and he's back in the ministry, and he's doing fantastic. This is years and years and years later, right? But when you see somebody in a failure, and when you see somebody in a fall, don't allow that to define their life. Amen? And treat them exactly the way you would want to be treated. Because at the end of the day, if the person is admitting to the fact that they've done something wrong, if they haven't admitted to the fact that they've done something wrong, and they're still holding the line and saying they haven't done that's a totally different scenario. I'm not even really touching that scenario. I'm talking about somebody who recognizes what they're doing wrong, and they're repenting, and they're wanting to move away from it. it it's you and God and this child of God together stepping out of the pit, getting back on the right track, and, and, and really shutting the enemy down, shutting darkness down, and moving forward with your life. Amen? And Because and, we need more people who will be restorers. We need people like that in the body of Christ. We got all kinds of people who want to throw rocks. But we need people that's going to believe the best in somebody and try to bring restoration in their life. Um, because God, at the end of the day, God's not called you to be a slanderer. God's not called you to be an accuser. God's called you to, to be a restorer. Amen? And, and so you mean, we need to learn how to handle it personally. You know, when you make a mistake or you, or you fail, I mean, you know, you need to, to say you're sorry to the people that you need to say you're sorry to. You know, Stacey and I, we apologize to our kids sometimes. Because, you know, sometimes we say, the, say something wrong or don't do, you know, or whatever. I'm not, I'm, how many you know we need to, a fan, you need to have an atmosphere, a culture of accountability? You know, <laughs> yesterday, man, praise God, I was going through it with my dog, man. I mean, like, big time. The dog was upstairs. The dog had, had ran through all the trash, had trash everywhere. The dog had chewed up one kid's toy, was about to chew up the next kid's toy, and I saw him. I was like, boop, boop, this is my opportunity. I could correct him in the midst of his disobedience to show him what he's doing wrong. Not that it really matters, you know. 
But I still am holding on to the fact that this dog can be trained not to do dumb stuff. Stacy, she's always like, why are you surprised? Like, do you really, do you expect anything else? Yes, I do. He's not going to. So anyway, he's about to chew up the second child's toy, right? So I jump up, and I would grab a broom. And I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to let him know. I'm not talking about beating the crap out of him. I'm just talking about, no, you know. Well, I run in there, and in the process of it, I step on a toy that has wheels. And I fall harder than I've ever fallen in my life. This is the hardest fall. And it went, wham! I'm talking like all 250 pounds of me. I mean, nothing, man. Just whoop! This is an earthquake. <laughs> Just right back. Did you die? Good job. No, you didn't. You're still alive. So anyway, man, like my foot is like, like there's excruciating pain going through my foot. I've twisted my ankle. My foot is like bruised up. And, and, and I mean, just all the stuff, right? Now, if I'd have been in the spirit more than I was at the time, I would have just laughed it off and been like, aha, but I was grumpy. For a while, so I didn't want I didn't want to talk to nobody. I mean, I just needed some time. And then Lily, I don't even know how you convey this. So Stacy gets out a bag of peas, literal peas, frozen peas, puts on top of my foot. Appalled that there was peas on my foot. I like peas. The peas are gross now. I mean, just like, and she's going off on me about these people. And I'm over here just like, I'm in pain. Like, she don't care. She's like, the peas. Like. So needless to say, I was grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. Because I'm, I'm, now I'm even more mad at the dog. Like I'm looking at the dog. God love the dog. It scared the crap out of him. Because, I mean, I fell like two feet away from him, you know. So he thought he was Armageddon. He's like, we're all going to die. <laughs> I love him. But anyway, I was super grumpy. And I just wasn't, for, for a long time. Like, I'm not, my foot was bruised and my ankle was, you know, sprained or whatever. But then later on, I started realizing I've been a butthead to everybody for a while. And, uh, and so I, I just came into Ethan's room, and now I started talking to Stacy first. I was like, all right, look. I was like, it's okay to laugh about me falling now. I was like, let's all laugh about it. And so, man, she's laughing. Unco- I love it when Stacy gets laughed. She laughs uncontrollably. She's laughing so hard, so hard she can't even talk, you know, because it's time to laugh, you know. I'm finally through. And I opened Ethan's door up, and I said, look, I was like, I'm sorry for being so grumpy after I fell. She's like, oh, you know, it's okay, whatever. I was like, we can laugh about it. Yeah, that's what happened. Everybody came in the room, we all gathered together and laughed at me and looked at my foot, and, you know, my foot's all, like, you know, bloated and stuff. But um, anyway, so funny, right? So funny. Not as bad as Tim's story. Tim has a better dog story that, than I have, and maybe he can share that once <laughs> too late. His dog actually knocked him out over the past week. Like, he was, like, out. So I, yeah, this week. Make me feel better about my story. 
Yeah. I, I stayed conscious, you know what I'm saying? His dog knocked him out, you know. So, amen. <laughs> There's that. But, uh, but just closing, getting back to, I mean, it's important to apologize and to be real and to say when you miss it, but also it's important not to stay there. Can I get an amen? Because, man, whatever mistake happened, whatever failure happened, we don't live there, amen? And how many we also don't want other people to live in their mistakes and their failures? And we want to speak life over them as well. Amen? All right, cool. Father, we just thank you and praise you um, that you teach us how to overcome failure, Lord, and you teach us how to pull people out of failure. And I thank you, Lord God, that you're the one that gives us the victory. You're the one that leads us to triumph. You're the one that causes us to rise up. And Lord, we are grateful and we're thankful for that in Jesus' name. Amen.